welcome to Labor Goes to the Movies with me, Chris Garlock, director of the DC Labor Film Fest, and of course, my sister in cinematic solidarity, Elise Bryant, executive director of the Labor Heritage Foundation. Our guests this week are Peter Pocock, former SEIU staffer. He's now a Buddhist monk. Also, Evan Papp from Empathy Media Lab. He's a colleague of mine at the Labor Radio Podcast Network. This is our first Labor Goes to the Movies uh, film club uh, gathering, meeting, if uh, you like. And if you want to join us for our next one, all you got to do is love movies. And if you're watching or listening, then uh, you're already in. Uh, and also be interested in talking about them from a work and worker's point of view. Uh, how do you do that? Email us, laborgoestothemovies at gmail.com. We'll uh, put that link in the show notes. On today's show, we discuss My Darling Supermarket, Identifying Features, Quo Vadis, Aida, and Collective. So uh, we'll have some um, trailers uh, in the show as well, so you can check those out. Uh, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. It, uh, as usual, goes in some uh, interesting and unexpected directions. So grab your popcorn, sit back and relax. Enjoy the show. Moment in which press arrives to be to make reference to authorities, authorities will be able to protect the people. In general, it happens in the world. It happens also in our case. Tanks are getting closer and closer by the hour. We are doing everything we can. Aircraft are on standby and ready to launch an attack on all positions held by the Republic of Serbsk Army. What will happen if the planes don't come? They will come. They will come. Eu gosto do que eu faço. Eu não vejo que eu faço uma coisa igual todos os dias. You have been found guilty of improper entry into the United States of America. You're now in removal procedures. Quanto hace que as coisas estão assim? Tanto com cuidado, carnal. Por aqui a coisa está bem caliente. to the movies. This is going to be a fun conversation. I think have we all seen My Darling Supermarket? Oh, yeah. Yes, good. All right. And then what else? Uh, some of us saw the movie on uh, Wednesday night, Identifying Features. Yes, that's something I'd like to focus on. Okay. And then, oh, I watched Gladys Aida. Thank you. Uh, did you watch that, Elise? I caught a bit of it before I passed out. <laughs> My problem was I watched it and then I had to do a deep dive to remind myself of all of the history there, which I thought that I knew and I knew some of it, but I, yeah, so that, that wound up, I think it was like, I think I spent another hour and a half diving into that. So there's that. And then one other one that I watched. Anyway, that's enough to get started with. Let's start with My Darling Supermarket. And I specifically invited Peter, who 
uh, for those of you who don't know, worked for SEIU for many years, and we did a lot of we did a lot of events together. Peter wore a lot of hats, but oh, street events too. Street events, yeah. And then he wound up doing education for members on, on how to. You never taught them to do a January 6th kind of a thing, though. I don't know. We were actually, as you will recall, specifically trying to avoid that. And you did. <laughs> anyway, I asked Peter to join us specifically. I thought that he would really get a kick out of my darling supermarket because Peter has become a Buddhist monk. I thought you were going to wear your whole robe thing, Peter. No, I very robe. seldom show up in that whole robe thing. It's uh First of all, it's really cumbersome. And second of all, it's uh, dressing up like something that you that is only a part of you right. is not a good idea. But I thought he would bring a, a good Buddhist perspective. And uh, once you saw the movie, you saw what I was talking about, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's one specific reference to it, but the, that guy Santo, the, the guy that runs the forklift, he doesn't know it, but he's a Buddhist. <laughs> all right we, we talk about that in in buddhist circles actually that there are a lot of folks in the world who don't know it but are basically um living their lives along buddha's lines along buddhist principles which is not a very difficult set of principles it's basically do good stuff don't do bad stuff and pay attention They seem like good, good guidelines. I was really surprised at how much I loved that movie. I, I, I just, it made me, given the fact that actually nothing happens, it was another reason I thought of you, Peter, because it's a movie in which nothing, some bread gets made and some shelves get stocked. And... It is the quotidian <laughs> existence. That's the thing. It's day by day by day, moment by moment by moment, which is what we're all living especially these days. <laughs> I'm going to have to yeah. Google that word and look it up because I don't think I know what quotidian means. It's just daily, just daily, basically. And it's a lovely too long word to, to capture the, the dailiness of our lives. Huh. The fact that most of the things that we do are the same things that we did yesterday and the day before. And the day before, there's a great line from Ivan, the, the, I'll call him odd baker about going to work is like getting up, is like going out your bedroom door every morning. You just get up and you do it. And oh, go on. No, I want, I want to, let me get just your sort of top of mind thoughts about, and then I want to go around and get responses from everybody and then we can just open it up. So what's your basic response to the film, Peter? that you've got a bunch of folks who are really pretty deeply alienated by the work that they're doing to go to a Marxist interpretation and have come up with a whole bunch of really interesting ideas about how the world really works that really seem to form the, it, it really seems to help them just get through the very dailiness of their lives and the very boringness and the very, the fact that, I, I, <clears throat> the way that the, the filmmaker gives us repeatedly these overheads. Here's what the ceiling is like. Oh my God, this is the ceiling in this place. This is what they're surrounded by. They're surrounded by all of this colorful stuff. 
And then behind the scenes, we've got the storage areas and the busted concrete and everything else. It's they're living in a movie set or working in a movie set, which is about selling things mainly because they're very colorful and arrayed in great numbers and things. And they're trying to figure out ways, even if they don't understand that's what they're doing, trying to figure out ways to make sense of it all. Because it's not, there's no sense in that space other than so move fast, 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 fast. So that's my take. I'm always interested in going into the background of the people who produced the film and the director is a female and mm -hmm. she got the idea late at night when she was going to a supermarket and she overheard a conversation with people just stocking a cereal shelf and they're talking about love and that kind of gave her the inspiration about these two people who are doing this monotonous task but having this very deeply profound interaction on this level of, about the universal and the eternal and mm -hmm. I yeah, it's the type of movie that comes across as very surface, but then it has all of the just human existential questions going on within it and the interplay between the, the characters. So. Mm -hmm. Elise? I had probably the, the opposite reaction. I, I felt we take it for granted that these are mundane, boring jobs because it's repetitive and doesn't, but that's the majority of work for the majority of people in the world. There aren't people get, who get to sit at home and they're with their Black Lives Matter t-shirt in the background and their cup of herbal tea talking to a couple of brothers on a fucking computer, excuse me. And so here are these people who are doing these things that we take for granted that are there in the background all the time. But inside, they have a rich inner life, mm -hmm. which of course everybody does. It doesn't matter what kind of work you do. I was a nursing home worker, dumping bedpans and taking people to the bathroom and making sure they were putting their meals in front of them and brushing their hair in the morning. And, and for the people who were getting that service, it was the world to them. And so even though I was doing it every day and dumped the bed every day, and, and I thought that way, I, I think that way about my mother who cleaned the homes of the wealthy, my father who worked in the nastiest, dirtiest jobs in the Ford Rouge plant, that you do all that, but when you come home and you have a life, and you have mm -hmm. a rich inner life and, mm -hmm. and some people's creative life. And I think she, I thought what she did was she took this, what is really mundane and turned it into this colorful land of visual stimulus that was like, well, I'm there because I'm like, oh, I know this person. I, I know this person who like talks like this. And I was reminded of my theater classes when I was teaching at the National Labor College and we would have a discussion after a film and inevitably the guy who was like the, the class clown would say something really profound and everybody would go, Doug? <laughs> and then they would turn to me and they would say, why are we talking like this? You did this. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. I just taught you like the basics of theater. And then we went to see a show. And now because you have a context, you could talk about it. That mm -hmm. you understand it. And even though Doug didn't finish high school and is working some mundane job, Doug has a brain. And that brain is capable of going into places that he doesn't get to express in his daily work or she doesn't get to express in her daily work but exists there. I, I so reacted the same way, at least, as, as I think all, actually everybody except Evan, because uh, Evan's not been to all the coffee shops and we haven't had that. We have, Evan and I met, you know, this way for the last year. So it's been, uh, but you guys have been to all the places that I always talk to the folks behind the counter, especially places like Tia's where I know Sarah and, mm -hmm. and kids and wonderful talking. our wonderful thursday relationship with the folks at at filter 
That's right. That's right. And and the engineers at the station. Mm -hmm. uh, I always talk to the checkout clerks at the supermarket, mostly because I always thought, God, I, 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 there's a lot of jobs you think, oh, that would be an interesting job. I thought to me, you know, just to stand there in the one place. And uh, a little side note, did you notice that the checkout clerk there did something I've never seen anybody in this country do? He was sitting down. I have never seen an American checkout clerk sitting down. I need to talk to my friends at Local 400 to find out what the deal is. There must be something going on there. Yeah. He's also the guy who very specifically says, I like this job. But... I I get lots of variety in the conversations that I have and things like that. He's also the one that had a nervous break. I wanted to talk about that because I mean, it's in the context of what we're talking about, that I did not see that coming. He seemed like the guy that had it all mm -hmm. figured out. And then you find out he's the one who had a complete nervous breakdown, weeping, which is honestly what I always thought, like, I, you know, 10 yeah. minutes in that job and that would have been me. You yeah. know? <laughs> whereas, whereas Ivan the baker, He's got it. He's got it figured out. <laughs> that costume. <laughs> By the way, when they remake this in America, you know that he and his you know, friend there are going to have a romance. They're going to screw the whole thing up. I mean, it's going yeah. it's, it's to be a whole other oh, yeah. Uh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The the relationships in the movie really are they're very real. That that banter behind the deli counter that goes on. Oh my God, they capture her so beautifully. That's her way of, of just getting right, at least getting her yeah. sort of peace, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see at the very beginning of the film, they, they, they start off with, first they start off with basically in the beginning was the word. And somebody talking about words make things happen. But then the, the first words that you, that, you see in the management office are the things about, it's about what are your, do you think you'd like to work here? What are your goals? What are your dreams? These are management questions that are being, that are just being put up there before anything else. These are what the managers are asking of them. And then we never see that again. But we've been told basically that this is something that management is concerned about, which I have a little difficulty believing, but then we are shown what people's goals and dreams and how they like it actually are in their daily activities. I love that little subtle bit. Of, we're going to show you what management says, <laughs> what they ask, and now we're going to show you what actually goes on without any regard to management anymore. Yeah, I don't think we ever see them again, do we? No, we don't. We don't. And, and Elise, I was thinking about something you said, because one of the things that occurred to me was that it turns like in a regular movie, and especially in a supermarket, you would have some something to do with the customers. I mean, your customers are a big part of what's going on there. And other their background at best, they're really bit players. I'm thinking particularly the repeated scenes at the in the bakery where the, the character will be holding forth and then somebody's there and he's like, and he'll deal with them and they'll come back and they'll pick right up. But you never see the customer, there's no interaction, and he pays them very little mind. And it, to me, was, I think, going to your point, which is that she was, she was not interested in, in them. She was yeah. interested in, in the workers. Yeah. It makes me want to also go back to what Evan said. And I, I want to re read more about the director, because I, of course, didn't read anything about her. I, mean, I, just, I was just taking the film in. And how she chose, this is the thing about film, right? It's subjective. You get to choose the, the focus. You, know, you get to choose 
which way it's going to go and why she chose that. What was, what's her background? Where does she come from? What's, you know, what's going on here? So I'm going to have to go back and do some more research. I think Evan, 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 uh, Evan's our researcher. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I love that. <laughs> alleged, like, supposedly she, her previous film was on a shoemaking, ballerina shoemaking factory wow. that, with a bunch of men. And then she was at the supermarket, had the idea of having this one set theater and she started doing a lot of research and started interviewing and all the people in the film had no background being on camera before. So over a course of selecting people, she was interviewing a ton of people at this one supermarket she was spending a lot of time with. And from that, she selected the six, six-ish main characters. And, and I think something that she wrote too, she wanted to start off with the set of a very dehumanized, depersonalized supermarket. And by the end, it's this very personal interaction yeah. of just human existence. Well, yeah, the, uh... you know, it made me think of working too, uh, the film Working. And uh -huh. who do you choose as a subject? Who do you choose to be the, you know, luck of the draw? Or what is her skill that she's able to say, oh yeah, that's the one. Okay, let me get that one. And how, how much filming did you do before that? Yeah, but I just there is obviously there, there is that, but don't you get the sense that uh, one of you said this? We all have these stories. Everybody has these stories, oh, yeah. right? We I think every one of us here are people who talk to folks, and sometimes it's a little hard to pull those stories out. And at least as a teacher, and and Peter, I know you worked with thousands of members, and I'm sure there's always somebody sitting in that class who's like, I ain't gonna talk, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So and then they do. That's your job. <laughs> but I, I also, I loved the sequence where she's got Santo, the, the forklift guy, talking about the fact that guy. there's that no guy. interest here. <laughs> who, who, would, who would care about what's going on in a supermarket? Maybe my wife, maybe my son. And, that's, and then he goes on to some of these wonderful riffs about life, the universe, and everything. And, and it was just, it was just so beautifully played. He was, uh, he was quite the serious character. Putting he's, him at the beginning, the, like I said. Yeah, putting him at the beginning was, I thought, brilliant because he really, I, I think it, I, I, I was thinking myself when I read about this, I was like, really, a movie about people in a, in a home? I could see that as a 10 minute short. How are you gonna do an hour and a half movie It'd be about, and there's no drama, nobody falls in love, nobody gets killed, no, there's no robbery. You know? it's, it's that, funny, that Chris, surprised but, me. That surprised me. Well, it didn't surprise me. That's when Chris, when you suggested that I watch this movie so that I could so that I could talk with you all about it, I thought inside a supermarket, that's just great. I worked in retail a few times in my life. I worked at a paint store where you're stocking gallons and five five gallons of paint in the back and it's all it's that same kind of a thing where you got just these crappy old shelves in the back and out front you've got this glorious colorful stuff and they hated the fact that I was terrible with customers because people would come in and want to talk about what color their dining room ought to be lady I don't know what color your dining room ought to be <laughs> that was not the approach I was supposed to be taking <laughs> Marigold, but definitely it, marigold. That is, that's the color. But I was, I was fine in the back. In the warehouse, when I, I worked at the University Cellar Bookstore, which was the student bookstore at the University of Michigan, 
and we had a warehouse that was out away from the bookstore because the bookstore wasn't big enough to hold the stock. And, and the warehouse was this place that was like, it was like being sent to the outer limits or something. Yeah. <laughs> but the forklift drivers were like the top of the line in some way. And this one guy came in and he changed the whole atmosphere of the warehouse. And they started doing this thing where they would do ballets on the forklifts. Oh, and, get out. Yes. This story day, doesn't end, I don't think. A student book rush. <laughs> and student book rush. We would, we would rent the ballroom of the student union. And they would bring in the books, and we had to build the shelves and all this kind of stuff. And one year they came in doing the hustle. I think the hustle just <laughs> came in. And, and with the forklifts and everybody, and bringing in the boxes, do the hustle, do the hustle, do, do, do. And it was just, I love it. it was like a Broadway musical, right? Only it's not Broadway. It's not a musical. It's just regular human beings at this point, 20 something year olds who were like saying, nah, we can do something more with this. And that's there in everybody, that, that potential, that creativity. I save your next uh, your next labor opera. I was thinking. I, I would like I would pay to see I would pay to see people doing forklifts <laughs> doing the hustle. Oh gosh, yeah. And you had you had the cabbie, right? You had the cabbie that you're driving in New York or wherever I'm in New York, and the cabbie starts talking. You go, whoa, <laughs> where did that come from? Thank you very much. All right, we've heard that we've heard about the, the, some backstories on jobs from Peter and Elise. You got to give it up, Evan. What's well, my first job was a retail job at a small store in Muskegon, Michigan, Western Michigan, called Coach's Closet, and I was 15, and it was essentially a soccer accessory clothing store. And like Elise said, you have it, or, or maybe Peter said it, you have it very nicely manicured in the front house and in the back house. It's total craziness, but. Some other jobs I've had that were much more dynamic with people are all the restaurant jobs I've worked and just the amount of funny things that happen in the back of the house. And as you're dealing with sometimes very difficult situations, difficult customers, but you just build this incredible interplay and dialogue with your fellow workers and even in something as boring as a restaurant that everyone goes to and seems like there's nothing going on but the people working in the restaurant oftentimes form a very dynamic cohesive unit and uh, then there's also the us against them mentality of management versus the servers and then there's the servers front house who get treated usually better than the back house unless you're actual chef. And uh, yeah, you, you learn a lot from those experiences. So people who haven't had those experiences, I sometimes look at them when they're talking about life experiences. I'm like, well, you have this whole missing part of you that most people in the world have experienced. Uh, I think one of the things for me that the, the film, especially compared to the other films, and Evan wants to get, talk about Wednesday's film, this film for all of its seemingly about nothing and any of the things that you would expect and no romance blossoms, there's no action. I, I wound up feeling incredibly, first of all, just happy. It's literally the reason I thought yeah. of Peter was that I knew that Peter as a Buddhist with, even though there was just this little reference to Buddhism, the whole film felt mm -hmm. a Buddhist film in terms of like pay attention. And if, it, if nothing else, if it gets people to look, and I think maybe people are already doing that in a pandemic because we're all spending, you know, A, more time in the supermarkets and B, appreciating that somebody is there stocking them and checking us out. And also, interestingly, the fact that they had to put up these barriers for the checkout folks. And I think mm -hmm. 
this is just me. This is, as Lise likes to say, this is just a story that I'm telling. But I think that before, I don't think people really paid attention to the checkout people. They were just, get your stuff, get out. I think that in my mind, anyway, once you put these barriers up, I think it makes you pay more attention to the folks who are behind the barriers. Maybe that's just me. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to say simply because I've always paid attention to the, to the checkout people. I go to the checkout line, even if there's a long line at the checkout and the self-checkout is wide open because you get a chance to actually interact with a human being. Yeah. But I don't know if that's the <clears throat> introversion versus the extroversion. Yeah. Um, the extroversions want to have that connection with the other people because of the energy. But I also was thinking about the cashier in terms of you can't judge a book by the cover. When we, what we see is only a, the tip of the iceberg of what the whole human being is. Mm -hmm. So here's this guy, cheery and engaged, and in that way that cashiers, I could think of one that was in our, in our in the bookstore who was always engaged with folks. But underneath is is a whole mass of other things going on, and you can't see that by just looking at somebody. There was another vignette in there that that had a very similar effect for me. The young woman who was stocking shelves, and then she goes back into the into the break room. And she's looking at her phone and there's the, the pictures of her pregnant and the pictures of the baby and the pictures of her when she was a teenage ballerina. And it was like, it, it was just, that can't have taken more than about a minute and a half in the whole movie. And it encapsulated that exactly what we're talking about. The rich life that everybody brings in and that we miss to our own, really. It's something that if we were able to engage each of those people the way that movie maker has, how much richer would our own lives be? Yeah, and that's the power of film. Yeah, it really is. That editing piece is, is the <laughs> magic that I yeah. didn't really, I wasn't conscious of until I started talking to Chris. Yeah. <laughs> but just that, that juxtaposition of those photos, it says a whole bunch that you can't do in a theater piece. Yeah, that's right. right. You just can't go that far back and then come back to the present. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. And just a what? I don't know. How long? Was it, was it a minute? It, it may not have even been a minute, all told. It was just such a beautiful little piece of filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. Really. We, we got to get into the interactive theater, though. We, we can start doing some projections and things like that <laughs> yeah. on the stage. And... True. Yes, yes. True. Right. I thought that when I saw Thurgood the play with Lawrence Fishburne. Mm -hmm. And they just had a legal, law school legal table, long legal table and two chairs. And that's the, that was a set and everything else was projected on the screen. And as a theater person, I was like, oh, that's, that's a simple set, you can use your imagination. But those photographs changed it. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> they made it a whole different experience. Plus, Larry Fishburne was way more talented than I had given him credit for. I liked him on film, but I, I wouldn't have said, oh yeah, genius, but he was, powerful it's a young middle-aged and old Thurgood Marshall hmm. but that's the wow. sorry I digress no, no not at all <laughs> yeah the other thing I just want to mention and I want to get to the, the film from Mexico but I also love and I think think Peter made a reference to it I really liked when they'd have the shots of the butterfly or the spider or the lights or one of my favorite I haven't made a note about it I loved it so much there is a shot, dirty water in a bucket. Mm -hmm. That is one of the most beautiful things I've seen this year. I'm not kidding. And you know what it is. It's not like they, they, they start in close so you don't know what it is and then they pull out. Going in, 
because you see the the woman mopping and then it goes to the bucket. And I remember watching that thinking, I hadn't read anything about the filmmaker, but I knew that this person was a genius because to, she had to see that. Yeah. Nobody came and told her about that. That I, I don't, you have to, or maybe she worked for something that you would have seen as a worker, maybe, I don't know. But to see that and to realize that, to me, it worked on so many levels. I mean, it was such a beautiful image, surprisingly. It's not even clean water. It's dirty floor mopping. And, and then again, Peter, I thought of you because as a Buddhist, you guys like to scrub floors on your hands and knees with rags. You don't want no Swiffer, man. It's not necessarily liking it, but that's what we do because that's how you actually get the floor clean. It's not, just about getting, it's not just about getting the floor clean, though. It's about a process. That's right. And it's one of the classic things that, that we always tell new folks is when there's a, an, an intensive retreat, the senior student at the retreat is basically leading the whole thing and, and in a position which could be considered to be very high up. The senior student is the person who cleans the toilets every day. <laughs> Just to keep uh, things in perspective. It keeps everything in perspective. And it's also a statement for everybody that there's no nothing special about any of us. I'm thinking some I'm, I'm thinking of some places we could apply that to good use. What if we made congressmen clean their toilets? Yeah. It is a uh, good Friday in the Christian calendar, and Jesus did wash the feet of his, you know, yeah. disciples and prisoners and things like that. So maybe get congressmen to wash some homeless people's feet or something like that. Very interesting. I love it. Good oh, luck with that. Revolutionary, Evan. I see <laughs> this is going now. <laughs> I mean, if they want to call themselves Christian. I went right there. I went yeah, right exactly. There. I went right there. Wait, I thought you liked Jesus. No. <laughs> Just one final little note that I loved also was they, she did a shot. I think it was a tracking shot across a bunch of signs that had the prices on them. And then she cuts to the backstage place where the guy is making the sign. Oh my gosh. Sweet. Oh, freehand. Yeah. Freehand. It was gorgeous. Just absolutely gorgeous. And then later in the film, she gives us him doing some actual art back there. Yes. It's the very same desk, mm -hmm. and he's doing his own art. And it was just another one of those little vignettes that just gives you the richness of each life that is that is in that store. Yeah, I loved it. Good. I, I'm, I could go on and on and on, but that's not what we're here for. It is. So what I want to do is I want to bring in a film that I know Evan and I saw and Peter and Elise may not have seen it yet. And some of our viewers may not have seen it yet. So Evan, we can't give away the crazy, twi the crazy twist, which I and I'm a guy who sees twists coming a mile away and <laughs> I did not see it. So we can't give away the twist, Evan. But can you just give a quick sort of what? set up the movie and then i just want to hear your reaction and i think there are things that you guys will be able to play off of as well yeah it's essentially a movie of a mother trying to find her son and the son is leaving his mother to go to the united states from mexico and time passes and one of the son's friends turns up dead and she goes looking for him. And so you see the entire immigration North story as she goes to the border. And then there's another story happening at the same time of someone who's just been deported from the United States going back to Mexico. 
and it's not her son. And so there's these two parallel tracks happening at the same time. And uh, it's, it has some of that magical surrealism that Gabriel Garcia Marquez uh, style that, that, but it's not, it's very subtle. And it also has just some very deep emotional aspects of good versus evil. And you have very real evil that we read about in the newspapers that you can actually see. And there's a lot of fear and suspense, even though there's not big chase scenes or anything like that. Yet at the same time, there's a lot of people helping the mother along the way, trying to find her son or at least have closure if her son is dead. That's just a general overview. I don't know, Chris, if you want to add anything. No, it, it, unlike, it was interesting because I saw, I'd seen the supermarket film, which I just felt like I just had a, a, a Buddhist session with Peter, was feeling very relaxed. And then I watched this movie and my, every muscle in my body, and, and it's a similar, as, as Evan says, most of the movie, again, not much happens. It's not one of these shootout, but the there are gangs everywhere. There's tension. There, you, you just you. What I really liked about this film was, especially in this particular moment that we're in right now, where the right is you know ginning up the the anti-immigrant you know rhetoric about people coming across the borders, and this film I think does a really good job of putting you in you know, if you, you want to understand why are these people leaving their countries why are they her son leaves it's a pastoral scene that the, the place where they live is gorgeous he's got a job he's got his family he's got everything there and if you want to but there is no life there it, there's violence and there's poverty and this is what's missing from this debate about immigration right is that why are you know all of these people leaving their homes it's, it's not because they want a Mercedes Benz in a three car garage. So that that was, but it is an incredibly, the actress, by the way, you probably did some research on her. I don't know who she is. I've never seen her before. She is absolutely, she does so much with so little, right, Evan? Yeah. And when you say there's no life there, I, I would add there's no future. And the, what's the future in the place where the economy is just completely being wiped out? And Beautiful cinematography, amazing acting, also a film that was uh, directed by a woman and uh, was written by the director and another woman. And it also has this, I don't know if you picked up on it, but the son's name's Jesus and the mother's name's Madalena or Magdalena. Magdalena. Uh, so yeah. it, it has that kind of surreal quality going on as well. When you're looking for something of just a beautiful filmmaking, but emotionally powerful and maybe if you have anyone who is uh hard-nosed about immigration try to drag them to this film to watch it it's also just a film that it's, it's stunning in a lot of ways i guess i would say yeah and as a man obviously i'll never have that connection a mother has with their child, but it, it's just so emotional the entire time of, I, I've obviously, I've spoken to my mom about her view of children and everything else. And just that bond and that uh, idea of like protection of the mother and the child. And you're going through that entire process as she's trying to find her son. And it's, it's extremely emotional and yeah. And it's just this unspeakable violence and the violence of the coyotes and the cartels and they're battling in this space, but it's evil. It's a lot of evil, but it's obviously surrounded by this complexity of this evil Babylonian system that that is drawing these people around and pushing these people around. 
And to be honest, I sometimes think about the violence in Mexico and the deconstruction of the state. We may see that in our lifetime in the United States, where there's roads we can't travel with without going through some militia checkpoint. And we've already seen it in Nevada and elsewhere. And I, I don't know, it's just a very powerful, everyone should see it. And uh, it's beautiful filmmaking. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else this, these people produce, uh, the director and the writer. Now, at least since you also watched Quodadis Aida, we should talk a little bit about that. And I also watched uh, Collective, which is, I'll just say this about that, get it out of the way. It, it, I had to actually watch it in two pieces. I think, personally, I think it's too long. It's a great film. It's I think it's one of the ones that's Oscar nominated. I just think it's too long, especially for American audiences. And I'm a huge film person, but I just, it, it felt, it's an important film and I actually would really love to have some of my newspaper guild. It's a really a film for our folks, at least, as a news, because it's really about the power of the media and the power of the press. But it's in a foreign language and it's really long and it's mostly footage of people in meetings or press conferences. So it's not, it's one of these ones, actually, I'd love to see it remade as a drama because it's dramatic as shit. You got bad guys, you got good guys. It's actually, it's a great story. And I, I appreciate, and Evan, it, it'd be a bit, I think you'd enjoy it too as a media person. But I just think I saw the trailer and it's about the nightclub fire in Germany, right? Actually, not Germany, Romania. It's, yeah. it's actually it's actually about what I did not know this. I knew about the fire, but it turns out that more people died because the there's this whole corruption going on around diluting disinfectant. And so more people died because who got burned, who went to the hospital. But so I, I knew about the fire turns out to be just a, a little the outside of the onion, if you will. There's this whole, and then there's this whole corruption thing. And it's, and there's this bad guy who did the bad stuff with the disinfectant, but then there's all this government officials who, who won't, I mean, it's, it's just the layer after layer. And so it's an impressive piece of filmmaking because it really makes an attempt to peel back all these layers. But to me, it just limits the audience of what I what I agree is a very important story, but I don't know. At least if you have a different take or another thought on that. No, no. What, 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 what this discussion has triggered for me is I want to do an investigation of women directors. No, seriously, because yeah. the Covadas Aida and the one we we're just talking about set in Mexico. I just the titles went out of my head. As Evan was talking, I was thinking, what happens when a woman goes behind the camera? What happens when it's different? And I remember when Catherine Bigelow. Uh -huh. Oscar. She's the first woman to win an Oscar. Am I, I'm not sure if I remember. It sounds right. But I thought the Hurt Locker. You got an <laughs> Oscar for the Hurt Locker. I'm not gonna think of other films by other women that were so much more to the heart, which is what we're talking about in, in these films, which are also the head, our heads engaged, but also the heart. This, the, the mother, the son, the, the the Jesus, the loss, the separation. I, I, when I saw that woman's face in Quovadis Aida, I was just like, oh. God. Mama, mama. Rip my heart out. Rip my heart out. <laughs> right? And so when I, when I hear you talking about the other film, I was like, oh, yeah, that would just be. And so these women are choosing this. And as opposed to The Hurt Locker. Okay. All right. Let's look at some more. Let's look at some, some comparisons and see what's, what's going on. What does that mean? Does it mean? I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually trying to get the president of SAG-AFTRA, who's a woman, Gabrielle Cateras, uh, mm -hmm. on this show uh, in oh, the not-too-distant yeah. future. We could talk to her about that. But... 
I checked on this recently, and Evan, you may have it off the top of your head, but even with all of this Me Too and all of this pushing for the last few years, the number of women directors, it's up, but it's still way, way low. And also your question, which I think is really even more the point is, even if there are more women directors, I don't think they're all getting to choose projects like what we're talking about here. I think they have to be, if they get in for a variety of reasons, commercial and having to prove themselves and so forth, they're probably having to take on projects like The Hurt Locker, things that are going to be money makers as opposed to the films that we've been talking about. These are not big box office films, right? But these are films mm -hmm. that, that people want to make because they have stories that they want to tell. My Darling Supermarket, which I, I like, I would love every local 400 member to see that movie. I would love every union mm -hmm. member to see that movie. Yeah, one comment, Elise, a good friend of mine, she wrote her dissertation on three female filmmakers coming from Iran, Pakistan, and uh, India, I believe. And just going through Bakhtin time was the other layer on this dissertation. And what the females chose to look at and how they expressed concepts through the film. And I, I totally agree that we're all people when it comes down to it. But then at the same time, women bring a much different perspective than men. And I, I think that yeah, that's something that I'd love to see what you're going to uncover when you pursue pursue that. So. When, I, when you and I work together on this. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was also thinking about what was the film that was about the Justice for Janice's campaign? Oh, uh, Bread and Roses. And, and again, he threw in this love story between the organizers and one of the workers. And I really felt it was gratuitous. I was, and, and, and then we just observed in these films, there's no love story going on here. There's no rockets going off. There's no car crashes. There's no car chases. Just the story, the storytelling. Of I think that it, it's that humanity point, which really is the point here, that, that there are so many more aspects to each of our lives than our love life. There is so much more that we can relate to in other people's lives than who they're with. It's much more about, it's much more interesting, at least to me, to know how you engage with the world. What, how does what's going on in the world affect you? I wanna hear about this. I wanna know about, about what, is, what is life like for you? Not just what is your love life like? But I, I think though, and we're all consumers of culture and we all know, I love mysteries. I, I love detective stories. And I was talking to Peter about, I, at some point we're gonna have a discussion on this show about the labor aspects for Foyle's War, which I watched uh, over the pandemic. In Foyle's War, one of the things, this is an example, one of the things that you know in every show, and maybe 10 minutes in, somebody is going to die. Usually some couple of somebodies are going to die. That's just mm -hmm. a given because that is that show somebody is going to die because there has to be a death, a murder, even right. if it doesn't, murder you know, it's, it's a murder mystery. So somebody's going to die. And so you have these tropes and police, you in theater and you have done, I mean, remind me, what's the story of one of your, of one of your uh, labor operas, right? Love songs, the value of tropes, right? These are a lot of Shakespeare is about love stories. So it's not, there's anything intrinsically wrong with love stories, but if you're going to make a film about supermarkets and you're not going to have a romance, what you're asking people to do is to pay more attention because we're not going to give you an easy hook. Will the baker and then his colleague get together? Won't they? You know, I mean, we're not, will the guy have a breakdown? Won't he have a break? Like in a drama, you would have give a little tease a little bit at the beginning. And then again, mm -hmm. you know, so there are reasons for these tropes, but I think one of the things, all the films that we're talking about, 
you, you got to work harder as a viewer. And what do we know about viewers? You know, <laughs> we don't. but I think that that is the that's the quality that we're seeing in some of these directors, though, mm. is making it less hard work for us to do something different, to see something differently. That's certainly, I think, is the achievement of my darling supermarket. Uh, it's just that who would have thought? We've all said that. Who would have thought that a documentary about a supermarket was going to be as moving and as powerful as that film is? That's because of the superb work that director did and that the camera operators. A lot of stuff, the, the camera guy was just obviously, or person, probably quite likely a woman actually, was out there shooting ceilings and floors and these, these wonderful tracking shots across all of the things, all the stuff that is in that supermarket and all of its color and glory. And at the beginning, we saw the shelves empty. Nothing in them. Remember that pure white. Mm -hmm. And then they start putting the things on and then through it, we see people rearranging the stuff on the shelves, making the presentation even better. And there was just so many things that made you stop and think about what you're, what it is that you're actually encountering when you go to the supermarket. That I'm glad you reminded me of that. That there's a one of my favorite scenes is that scene. It's fairly early when the guy is working on the shelf. And again, as somebody who who watches a lot of movies and 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 at least because you've had to think about that, there's this rhythm in a scene, right? So in mm -hmm. a normal one of those scenes, that would just be a setup for something to happen. Something's going to happen. That scene, I don't know how long it goes on. It feels like a couple of minutes. All the dude does is adjust these little packets and then and it goes on and you're thinking, okay, where's the payoff? What's going to happen here? And then you realize, ain't no payoff. To pay, you know, Or this is the payoff this because is this is what he is sent out there to do. <laughs> yeah, I love that bit. And, and, I am and, curious, the effect of all these box office big films are almost all superhero action it's almost like the the child little boy big explosions the hero comes in and solves everything at the end and there's always this happy ending and it's not re it's so far from reality and it, it, in some ways it is an extension of the escape escapism that so many people are seeking in life because life is becoming so unbearable for so many people and having a superhero and a lot of the people I'm hanging out with are a decade younger than me, and they're all into comic books and anime, and they're into a lot of these, you know, Marvel movies, which I personally, you know, find very uninspiring and not, they may be enter, un, entertaining, but I'd rather spend my time doing other things. But th that question of how is that, where's the labor in that, Chris? <laughs> no. No, I, th I think that's the antithesis, if you will, of what we're talking about. And, and, what, and what I think I worry about is there's a lot of talk about the effect that people want to blame, like whether it's comic books or whatever, that it causes things. I don't know if that's the case, but it does definitely seem like it desensitizes people. And I know I read this lot of stuff about how the army had this trouble getting people to kill people because people basically don't want to kill people. It's really hard for people to kill people. And the way that they do it is by essentially getting, getting you to practice killing people and it gets easier and easier. And I do worry that the effect of seeing lots of big, big, boomy movies, I, th I think about taking somebody who's used to watching a movie like that and asking him to watch My Darling Supermarket. I think five minutes, you know, they're, they're, I think they'll be done after five minutes. When's the supermarket going to get blown up? It's, if you think about 
and this would be a whole other show, but if you think about how all of us learn to watch movies, the, the, the four of us, I think about this, like this week, I watched more foreign movies this week than I've watched in the last couple of months because they're work. I like watching Foil's War. There's a murder, there's a meal. And at the end of the show, it's resolved, right? At the end of every movie I saw this week, ain't not, no shit was resolved. Yeah. No shit was resolved. But if you grow up on a diet of what the kind of movies that Evan's talking about. I did grow up watching Rambo and Commando and all the 80s movies with Sylvester Sloan and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And my dad liked Charlie Bronson. These And you've come a long way, baby. Yeah, well, I, know. I, I think there's an interesting thing going on here. I'm going to date myself because I grew up watching World War II movies because that was, I, I was born in the 40s myself. And a lot of that carried into my generation's war. That was what the kids who went to Vietnam had been exposed to. That's what we had seen. And it didn't take me but about three days in boot camp to understand that was a big lie. <laughs> and here I was committed to the Navy for four years. But, but I think that's something that there's... We could do an entire history on what the people who went off to fight each war had been acculturated to before they went off to fight. Mm -hmm. That'd be a really interesting study. We could do that. We'll do that. All right. I Go ahead. Elise, you get the last word, girl. No, because my, my mother never watched television. Wow. She went so proper as anything. And, and she would come in sometimes and turn off that TV. I don't care if Jesus is on there. <laughs> and, and one day, I, I don't know what movie it was, but it was a World War II movie. And my mother said, they're getting ready to start another war. Oh, wow. And like, huh? And she said, mm -hmm. that's what they do when they're gonna start a war. They start showing war movies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your mama was a wise woman, a wise yeah, woman. Was. Wish I had been told that a little bit myself. Eighth grade education. She knew. Yeah. All right. All right. Hey, I'm what a pleasure. Thank you, guys. This was a wonderful, and, and as always, Elise, it went in all kinds of uh, directions. So uh, keep watching movies, guys. We're going to have you back on. Evan, I'm thinking we should have some of your younger folks on. I'd love to see what, get them watching some movies. Not just those geezers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Friday. everybody. Get the movies. Get the movies. <laughs> <laughs>